All right. Um, it seems like it's been a long time since I've been able to be up here and opening up the word with you and um, uh, thankful for the elders and uh, you uh, as the body of believers here and allowing us to be traveling back and forth and all. But uh, here we are. Okay. All right. You have an outline in your bulletin. And the title of this morning's message, God's Overture of Redemption. Here's the sovereign choosing and calling of Moses. We're in Exodus chapter 3, so please open up there if you're not already. Exodus chapter 3, the Pew Bible that you have before you if you need that. Uh, It's page 46. So uh, here we go. Um, as we read the account about Moses becoming Israel's leader and deliverer, we see that now in this passage, here the time has come where God uh, takes action and we see evidence of one big thing, his sovereignty. We need to remember this story majors on God and his sovereignty, not on Moses. Got it? Moses, yes, Moses is the the man of the the moment. But it's about God and his sovereignty. We need to remember that. Okay. A lot of times we have a human uh, earthly perspective that we put on. It's like our glasses. We put on uh, the human perspective as we approach things like this. And we say things like, well, uh, stuff just happens in life. Right? Well, it's just the way it goes. And we count these experiences as pretty random in our minds, it's kind of his random stuff. It's just the way it goes. It's the norm of life. But by doing that, taking that perspective, we really are demonstrating, putting on the, the man-centered, the man-focused, the, the, um, the earthly perspective in life. And so it's always wise, it's always required that we put on the divine perspective as we come to the Word of God. Looking at what is God doing here? What is it that God's about in this time? So, we come and see that God steps into the picture now with Moses. Okay? And we are reminded from Psalm 115. Psalm 115, verse 3. But God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases And he does so despite our failures. He does so despite our weaknesses. In this story of Moses, we see the truth come to life when, where God uses people. And so we start in this uh, message here with point number one, a timely interruption. A timely interruption, if you will. Moses might have called it an intrusion. (laughs) Okay? You look at Exodus chapter 3 and you see that Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. Okay? Now it's calling the father-in-law Jethro. Okay? And uh, he led, Moses led the flock to the west side of the wilderness. And really, in a sense, that what's that saying is he was way out back. Way out back. As far as it's like just way, way out there, the idea of being 
you know, on the west side and going to the mountain of God. So we don't know exactly where he was, you know, but the area where the Midianites were were to the east of that uh, that peninsula, that that uh, that Gulf. And so now he Moses takes the the sheep and and heads them over uh, to the Mount Sinai Peninsula, and that's where he's at. The area of Mount Sinai. That's what Horeb is equated to. Okay. Most likely, he's pretty content with where he's at. And we need to, I think most of you that have been a, a Christian for a while and reading the word, you, you get the picture that he's not just out in the wilderness. He's in the desert of his life, if you will. It's been 40 years or so. 40 years. Now he's about 80 years old and he's he's shepherding. It's not a glamorous position. And you think of what he had experienced, you know, so we we label him in point number 1A, we label him as insignificant. He's on his own now. He's he's a, you know, foregone kind of, you know, He's just in our memory now of what he used to be, right? He's a desert roamer. He's a stranger. He's a sojourner. Okay? He assumed that uh, the Egyptians still wanted him dead after 40 years. He assumed also that the Israelites uh, had rejected him as any kind of uh, potential leader because of what had happened back then. Once he murdered that Egyptian, the next day the Egyptian quarrel that came up and he spoke to that and he's like uh, who you know the guy prophetically says who made you judge and ruler over us <laughs> little did he know that 40 years later here comes God to do that very thing and so uh, you know we we aren't told exactly what Moses is dealing with but knowing do you know what it's like to have regrets of course you do you have regrets in your life? Moses was the prince of a nation. And now he's a shepherd. Now, the Egyptians look at that position as embarrassing. They, they like, you know, that's, that's where the scum of the earth, you know, employs themselves. You know, Egyptians don't, you know, bow to that kind of depth of, you know, activity. They, they despise that. They, Egyptians despised shepherds. And yet here's Moses. Once uh, the great and powerful Moses, leader, that, you know, the, the next guy to step in to the role of ruler and leader of Egypt. And now he's an unknown. So, you know, while we're into it, you know, think about that connection there. The idea of the regrets that come up in life. The failures that come up in life. That really those regrets and failures are actually doing something. is holding us back from walking in God's will. Doing what God called us to do. Okay? Interesting practical aspect there. You know, could it have been that as he's roaming about in the, in the desert area with the sheep, he's 
thinking of what he could have had. Because actually, his act of murder was done in the power of the flesh, if you will. That was done, you know. Yeah, he was trying to defend a fellow Israelite. But that was done in the power of the flesh. So, quite a situation. And so with the burning bush appearing, okay, there we see it in verse 2, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And so here we see the entrance of letter B, intentional God, the divine refiner. He's the divine refiner. Even though Moses had been wandering off doing his own thing as shepherd for 40 some years, God's still in a silent kind of way working on this man, causing him to mature and grow in wisdom and Divine refiner. He knows Moses. He knows that all of what Moses has endured. But now it's the time for Moses to get to know God. And God chooses this burning bush to communicate his plan to Moses. It's a miraculous sight. I mean, most of us, if you've done any burning of bushes around our area, you know, it's like, oh, that's done. Okay. It's a bush. Poof! It explodes done and obviously he's got some familiarity with starting a fire you know for a campfire you know being out in the wilderness he understands it but yet this is why god chose this sign to shake things up this is different yeah this is not just a little fire in the wilderness this thing's still burning look at it it's still burning it's not burnt It's burning, but it's not burnt. It's burning, but it's not ashes. (laughs) This goes against our minds, you know, and our comprehension. Well, that's what God wanted to do. So, we see at this point, you know, there, we could say there's a couple of interpretations, people wanting to, to look into this issue of the burning bush. It speaks of Israel, that Israel will be going through fires, and not burned up, so to speak. And I get that. Might be um, alluding to Moses himself even. But we're still missing the point of the burning bush. It's God. It's God. And he wants to communicate to Moses. So it's not just about a miracle. The miracle opens up the way for the message. And so in this moment, we see God approaching Moses, Right? And in this regard, we see God's good work. It's God's good work. Many of us have heard that phrase, God is not finished with me yet. Moses didn't know that. Moses thought, hey, I got my comfort zone right now. I'm in it. I mean, after all, he's 80 years old. I got my comfort zone. And yet God is not finished with Moses yet. And He's not finished with you. He has not abandoned you. No matter what you might have experienced or felt happening, God's not abandoned His own. Don't forget that. And really, so what this builds up to is God's good work. Better known as what? 
grace. It's God's grace. Here's God's grace evident in this man's life. He does, Moses doesn't know that now. He just thinks it's, here's another, you know, what, what kind of interruption is this? Okay. It's all showing us that God was orchestrating this. It was all on God's timing. All setting up for the more important message that God has for Moses. So number two, a timeless revelation. It's a timeless revelation. Simply stated, it's what God's revealing about himself. God reveals himself to Moses. Not just in the burning bush, but he's going to speak to Moses, revealing himself. And it starts with letter A, a call. God's call to Moses. It's emphatic. Moses, Moses. (laughs) And it's personal, obviously. He's calling out his name. From the burning bush. (laughs) This is quite a sight. Had we been the, the fly on the on the desert tree or whatever behind, you know, watching this. Out of a burning bush, Moses' name is called twice. A personal call. Letter B, it's a it's God's message to Moses that's the key. God's message is really the follow-up to his calling. He's calling him, and here's now the the next step. His message to Moses is what Moses needs is what Moses needs to hear and know. And God's message to Moses here at this moment is going to serve to be foundational and essential. And so God's message for Moses is clear. What is it? Do not come near. What? That's his message? Yes. Do not come near. God is unapproachable. In your own strength, in your own flesh, God is unapproachable. You can't approach God. You realize that? You cannot approach God. He's perfectly holy. That's what the next point is. Take off your sandals. The place you're standing is holy ground. Why? Uh, Not because you could travel there now and say that that's holy ground. It's not. Simply because of God's presence there. That's why it's holy ground. God's presence. Being holy is God's unique and essential characteristic. Holiness is what sets him apart from everything and everyone. He is perfect in his holiness. So holiness is then the starting point for Moses to get to know God. He is a holy God. Sometimes in presenting the gospel, we kind of jump over that point and we want to get to the, the idea that God will bless you and make you happy or, or forgive you of your sins and it, it's wonderful. You've got to come to know Christ. That's the, the point you know, that we want to get to. We want to jump over some of the tough stuff. If you look in your bulletin, on the back of your bulletin, it's, you know, how to know God. And what does it start with? Point number one. Somebody. God is holy. Okay? So that's where it starts. 
But it's interesting. You, so that's in verse 5, chapter 3, verse 5. He says, do not come near. That's not an option. That was a command. Don't come near. And then take off or remove your sandals. The place you're standing is holy ground. Verse 6, and he carries on. Here's the next step in his revelation. What is that? I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So not only is God saying, I'm holy, don't approach me. He's saying, I'm faithful. I'm the covenant-keeping God. I am faithful. You can count on me. And not only that, he's saying he's the eternal, everlasting God. As later on, Moses would write in Psalm 90. Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2 says, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were born. Or thou didst give birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting. What? Thou art God. So Moses connected with that truth. So we see he's the faithful covenant-keeping God. He's the eternal, everlasting God. And also, he is the God of the living. Mark down Mark, the Gospel of Mark. Mark down Mark. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. And in that, Jesus is responding to a group that does not believe in the resurrection. That's the group called the Sadducees. They don't believe in the resurrection. Life after... So, you know, raising up from the dead. They don't believe in that. And he's dealing with them. And in this, he quotes this verse from Exodus 3. He's dealing with it. And then to finish off his statement to the Sadducees, Jesus says this. He is not the God of the dead. So what he's doing is he's bringing application to what he's quoted in Exodus 3. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You, Sadducees, are greatly mistaken in their belief system. There is the resurrection of the dead. Why? Because God is the God of the living. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. They're not dead. When you die, it's not, poof, you're out of existence now, and that's that, and nothing. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches you're either going to go to heaven to be with God because of what Jesus did, or you'll be separated from God forever because you, evidently, you rejected God's free gift. By what was the motive behind that? Your pride. Or this argument or that argument, but it all comes back to your pride keeps you from this. See, this is an amazing message. The gospel of Jesus Christ is amazing because you didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve the opportunity. Why? Because we, in our right condition, we're rebels against what God has done and what God offers. We're rebels against it. Why? We want to keep doing our own thing. We keep coming back to that. So, this is God's message to Moses. I'm holy. I'm faithful and true. I'm the eternal one, the everlasting one. I'm God, the only true God of the living. Then, 
we see in letter uh, number it's 2C in your outline, Moses' proper response. Moses obviously got the message. <laughs> he didn't gawk at the miracle of the burning bush. He didn't come up to it like a scientist and say, hmm, let's look at this. Let's analyze this. Gee, I wonder how this happens. He didn't do that. He took off his sandals, representing what? Here's the... Number one, it's a tradition of their... In that realm of the world. It's a tradition. You know, you take off your shoes. But also, it shows reverence and respect. It also kind of symbolizes the dust and dirt of the world that accumulates on your boots. Take off your sandals. This is holy ground. And then, not just that, but then he hid his face for what? What does it say? For he was afraid to look at God. But wait a minute. God's not a burning bush. What does it say back in verse 4? I'm sorry, in verse 2. Look at verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in the burning bush. I don't know how to picture that. I'm just reading the text. There it is. The the angel of the Lord is not an angel of the Lord. It's the angel of the Lord. In other words, for those that don't know, that's the pre-incarnate appearance of the Son of God. Okay? Again, no big thing for God because why? God can perform miracles. He's done that in a physical way, in a natural way, with supernatural way, with the burning bush. But there's numerous appearances of the angel of the Lord to, again, share a revelation from God. Pass along a message from God. Why? Because it's God. He is God. There in the situation. Look at verse 4. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out to him. (laughs) Okay? There's the connection. So, remember, John chapter 4 says that God is spirit. No body. He does not have a physical body. Yet, so that he might win you and rescue you, he sent his only son to be God in a body, Jesus, showing up to demonstrate what a holy man looks like. To demonstrate sanctification in perfection. To demonstrate the keeping of the law. (laughs) That's Jesus. So Moses, what does he do? He shows the proper response a proper positioning, a, a proper attitude of fear. That's what God deserves. And it's like, here's a little tiny primer, if you will, on worship. God reveals himself, and what does man do? He's supposed to fear. Now, there's a lot more to that. We understand because of what Jesus has done, we can you know, enter in to worship. We can call out to Him and praise Him and call Him Father. Not just that, but call Him Abba, Father, Daddy. That's what Jesus accomplished on our behalf so that we might 
become worshipers. This is the whole idea behind redemption. Okay? Let me ask this at this moment. I want to especially direct it to us as men. Men, when was the last time we bowed before the Lord? I'm seeing it physically. When you bowed and fell on your face before the Lord. You know, uh, we don't do it enough. We don't respond enough like that. And we need to. We need to do it because it's there in our hearts to love the Lord. It's there also to be an example to our family. I'm going to bow before the Lord. I'm going I'm to just prostrate before Him. He's deserving of our fellowship. When we do that, when we do that kind of a thing, it's not to gain points with God. It's simply to show I'm, I'm humbling myself before Him on behalf of my, uh, my spouse, on behalf of my children, on behalf of my grandchildren, on behalf of the church ministry and the spread of the gospel. I'm bowing before God. And we didn't say anything about praise and, you know, praise uh, exalting Him. No, we're just bowing before Him to humble ourselves before Him. Okay, it's a great example. Number three, this is a, we see this um, work that God is doing as a treasured mission. It's a treasured mission. Look at verse 7 and 8 and 9 now. Verses 7 through 9. Then the Lord said... I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, okay? All those people groups in that region. So this is a, why is it a treasured mission? Because here now, God has revealed himself to Moses. Now what is he doing? He's sharing his heart about the mission that's at hand. And what is that mission? I want to take my people, Israel, out of Egypt, out of bondage, and into a promised land, flowing with milk and honey. What is that about? It's an, a land of abundance. And it's all real and true, and it, yet it has a meaning for us now in our day. It's that idea of abundance in our Christian life. God's called us to that. Not to be um, allowing sin to dominate, but to show, no, I'm, I'm trusting God, I'm yielding to God, I'm desirous of his will in my life i want to honor him and when as we do that as we bow before him yield to him you know what he's going to do god's going to show forth here's fruit that starts coming forth why it's the fruit of the spirit it's god's work in your life so this is a, a treasured mission if you will God talks this way to pass along his heart's desire, his will to cause Moses to join in with the mission of salvation and deliverance for his people Israel. 
he's really he's giving Moses insight to what's going to happen next. So, letter A under number three, God knows. He said, you know, um, Pastor Brennan brought this up last week in in the end of chapter two. It's stated in kind of a general way. Now it's being associated with God Himself saying this to Moses. God knows. I've surely seen. I've heard their cry. I know their sufferings. Here is love for his people. Compassion. It's commitment to his. He made a covenant. He's not going to forget it. He knows and he cares. And then letter B under number three, God acts. He acts. He's going to bring about his plan of deliverance, his plan of rescue Verse 8 and 9, And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. It's all to rescue a people for His own glory, to use those people... Excuse me. To use those people for instruments of His glory. That's what he's going to do. And yet, many of you understand the, the ups and downs of the life of the people of Israel, right? They're rebelling in the wilderness. They're, they're being wandering in the wilderness. And, you know, their constant fear that kept coming up and God saying constantly to them, do not fear for I am with you. So, God's shared this mission with Moses saying that, you know what? I know, and here I'm going to act. And guess what, Moses? I'm going to install you as the deliverer. Point number four. I didn't know quite how to say it. I I felt compelled to have a, you know, a word that started with a T. (laughs) But this is true. It, it's a type filled Selection. A type filled. What does that mean? Moses' selection, the selection of Moses is all about the fact that Moses will show forth Christ. He's going to show forth Christ. He's going to foreshadow Christ in what he does as deliverer. And already we see a couple of things. You know, he's, he's going to go to his people and his people have, what, rejected him. That's what John chapter 1 talks about with Jesus. Okay? So, Moses, the type-filled selection, verses 10 through 12. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh. Can you imagine all the stuff that came in his mind at that moment? Now, it's a different Pharaoh at this time. Not the same one that he was associated with, but it's like, whoa. You're going to send me back to Egypt? Okay, He says, come, I will send you. I will send you. We need to let that sink in. I will send you. He's commissioned by God. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Okay? So, This is God's deliverer, letter A, under number four. It's by God's will. It's by God's directive. We say, well, wait a minute. 
there's a problem here. Yes, there's a problem. And you see it in verse 11. What does the verse 11 say? But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Folks, we, we can uh, relate to Moses' uh, initial response, can't we? Who am I? But you know what? That's exactly what God wants to hear from Moses and from you. That's exactly what God wants to hear. Right? Who am I? Who am I? And it's the, the, the matter of God using Moses as what? As an instrument in God's hands. Okay. Same thing applies to you. If you're a believer, God wants to use you as an instrument in His hands for His glory. And right away, stuff comes up in my mind. Stuff comes up in your mind. Of a, a, but no, no, no. You, you just don't get it. I'm. Who am I? You don't know. Right? Excuses come up. Next week, we'll get into the excuses. Okay? But all too often, we've taken on what the world tells us about leadership and, and selection and usefulness and all this. You've got to be like a, I don't know, some all-star Christian. And you never do anything wrong. I'd like to see someone who uh, claims that. So... This is the result of God's invisible, if you will, silent work of grace in Moses' life. Maybe, just maybe, this is the very problem that Moses had in Egypt as the up-and-coming prince. Behind the scenes, he's kind of, I got this, I got this. In fact, I'll, I'll show up and, and visit the, my fellow Israelites. I, I know about them. I, I, I've grown up as an Egyptian. I've got everything at my hands. And I, I'm going to go back to my folks and, and see how they're doing. And here's that response. He kills the Egyptian. Then the next day, he tries to do the same thing. Hey, why are you guys grumbling and fighting with each other? What's the deal? He wanted to step in and, and demonstrate his leadership. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But if we understand things here in this process of life, what is God doing? God's refining you and I, isn't he? And one of the worst problems that I have is my pride. Same with you. Pride just keeps kicking up. I want to sit in the, in the seat of authority I want to give my opinion. I want to say this on Facebook and let them have it. All that stuff that comes forth from my pride. So this is God's deliverer who says, who am I? And what does God say in verse 12? I will be with you. Okay. I will be with you. So here in this in this kind of a moment, we, we let's let's really quickly here connect it, uh, to the New Testament with this understanding of Moses' uh, question: Who am I? 
For a moment, we look at the foreshadow, again, the foreshadowing of Jesus in the life of Moses. John chapter 6, just mark the reference down. John chapter 6, 38. Jesus says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Then for Christians, Philippians chapter 2, the example of Jesus emptied himself. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. Okay? And then Romans chapter 12, same thing, to believers. He's saying, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. We, we are a people that are in constant need of God's grace and God's wisdom so that we might grow in likeness to Christ. So this is a foreshadowing of Jesus, which is then complemented by letter B, God's deliverance. God's deliverer, Moses, who's going to picture Jesus. Then letter B, God's deliverance. Here's the sovereign plan of God going into action, starting with his promise of provision. Hallelujah for this. Praise God for this statement. God says to him in verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 12. But I will be with you. I will be with you. Jesus said something similar, didn't he, in Matthew 28. Go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. It's not somebody different that's saying this. It's God. It's God who said this in Exodus 3. It's God who says it in Matthew 28. Okay? And then... He gives a sign. He says, uh, and, and here's the sign. Here, here's the evidence that you know you're, you're on track here. That this shall be the sign, in verse 12, that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. What does it say? You shall serve God on this mountain. And really, Moses might not have connected that, but God's saying in this mountain that we're at, you're going to come back with my people and you're going to serve me. Added to that is the idea of what serve means. Worship. That's the bigger picture of serving. Worship and serve. You're going to come back to this mountain and you're going to serve me. See, this is God's game plan, folks. To rescue unto himself a people who will come out of Egypt and then live in a way of worship and service to Christ as our King and Deliverer. Okay? So, some things to take with us as we um, head out for this day. Number one, the, the importance of God's revelation. That's not some ethereal thing. The, the, the God's revelation is right in my hand, right here. This is God's Word. God's message. God's Word or message or revelation, not the book of Revelation, but God's revelation is Him revealing Himself and His will for His children. Okay? And a lot of times, we as Christians in this day and age, we prefer signs. 
We prefer the burning bush thing. We prefer that experience. Why? Because that, that warms our hearts that I experienced the burning bush. I'm not saying the literal one from Exodus 3, but that kind of thing. We, we, we value that because it's like, wow, that really stands out. But what's the point here with the application of the, the Word of God? Here it is. that It's the message that God delivers to His children. The words. Okay? In the beginning was what? The Word. In John chapter 1, verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then you look at Hebrews chapter 1 to see that Christ is the ultimate of it all. In the past, God spoke through the prophets and the fathers, but now He's spoken to us in Christ. So what is this getting at? Well, you better know the Word. You need to keep growing in the things of the Word of God. I know it's like sometimes I think, oh, you've already heard that. So we say it a lot here. You got it, right? You know what? We, we can't sit back saying, I got that. No. Because it's a lifetime of feeding. Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. My friend, if you say you're a Christian, you better be in the Word of God to see this is what God's message is. His the way that He works and brings forth grace in your life. Okay? This is how we get to know Him personally and intimately. Through His message. It's, and what's at the heart of His message is the Gospel. You miss the Gospel, you miss out. So get to know what the Gospel is really about. What's, the, what's at the core of the Gospel? That God came. And God condescended upon a sinful mankind and offers salvation to all who will come by faith in Jesus alone. And through His Word, He has revealed His character, that He is holy. He's revealed that He is knowable. And through Christ alone, He's approachable. Then He calls uses and refines those who he has drawn and he provides for his glory in our weaknesses, in our failures. We're not here to really bring up, you know, failures. We're not here to bring up regrets. But look at what the Bible gives us, the hope that we have in Christ. Okay? Then, along with that, God's revelation is, man, you and me, (laughs) people, despite our trials, hardships, and failures, God is not finished with me yet. He promises His presence. He provides His presence. He promises His help. He provides His help. He uses imperfect people. I remember, you know, as a young person, once I was first saved, I was like, you know, how do these older Christians seem like they got everything together? As you grow, you find out, no, they didn't have everything together. But you know what the good example is? Is continuing to bow before God 
trust him and walk with him in his ways for his glory. God has, you know, his people. They're imperfect and weak. He uses individuals despite the past record. God has a purpose for your life. Young people, God has a purpose for your life. What's the context here in Exodus? 80-year-olds, God has a purpose for your life. Thank you. (laughs) And his purpose is to use you as an instrument for his glory. To refine you. To shake down, shave down, and suit you up for his workmanship, for his work and his glory. He's given us his word, his revelation, and he calls us to listen up and respond and to keep feeding on his word. I close with this. <laughs> I said earlier about we want, we like the burning bush experience, right? Well, we had a couple of disciples on the way, on the road to Emmaus, right? They had a burning sensation in their hearts. And it wasn't from some experience. It was from the encounter they had with Jesus who did what? He explained to them. He taught them the things of His Word. The Law and the Prophets. And He's like, you know, He's dealing with the Old Testament. But guess what, folks? The things in the Old Testament, as with the life of Moses, point to Jesus Christ. So, Let's be like the Bereans. They heard from Paul, and yet they said, hey, we got to go check this out ourselves. Let's study the Scriptures to see if these things be so. So, we are truly a needy people. Who am I, O oh Lord, that you would use me? It's all this business of God's composition God's overture, God's symphony of redemption in your life and mine. Please stand with me as we close with the reading of the word in Ephesians chapter 1. Please stand. Just bow your heads right now. Bow your heads and let the word of God sink in. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Father, we bow before you here this morning to give you thanks and praise. You're a sovereign God. And there's so many things that we need to be learning 
more and more about you and who you are in truth, who you are in the fact that you're holy, you're holy, perfectly holy God. Lord, you demand righteousness, but we could never have attained that in our own efforts. And so you sent Christ as the perfect, totally perfect and all-sufficient righteous one, the perfect deliverer for mankind. God, I pray that we would draw near to you, that we would humble ourselves before you, that we would learn and grow in the things of your word and lift up you to the praise of your glorious grace, Lord. Thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.